This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and answers all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be back with you on this uh, wonderful Saturday morning for our 40th consecutive program in which we are dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, a lot has gone on in the news this past week, right? We've heard about an attack on the Capitol. Uh, We have been talking about a political transition. But this has really been what we need to look at. This is what we call a head fake. Uh, Many of you who may be longtime listeners of the program remember somebody named Randy Pausch. Uh, Randy Pausch wrote a book in 2008 called The Last Lecture. And it was a lecture he gave to give advice to his students, his family, and the world about how to live life and lessons he learned from life. He was a professor at Carnegie Mellon University. He was an engineer. And Randy Pausch talked about something called the head fake. All right, we're back, and uh, we've been having some connection problems, but uh, we hopefully have that solved. Uh, I was talking a little bit about the head fake, meaning what happens is you start focusing on one thing when the real problem is another, right? It's a football term um, that's used uh, periodically. It's a football term that's used periodically when you are looking at a player who is moving in one direction and then changes direction, and their head goes in in a direction other than the one you expect. With that, we are focusing so much on this political transition that we're losing sight of the pandemic and the problems with vaccination. Okay, Uh, uh, it's not showing up on my end. That's why. So I'm I'm looking at you, uh, Mike, so we could keep moving. Okay, good. So with the raging pandemic, uh, we have to focus on vaccination and how to make each other better. And that's the key item here. So we can't go for the head fake. The statistics are still astounding, right? When we think about it, on Thursday, we reached over 4,000 Americans dead in one day. We've now gone over the 370,000 death rate and over 6,000 deaths in Connecticut alone. Our rate of positivity in Connecticut has risen to 8.5% yesterday. And that's up from where it's been about 6%. Don't forget, in the summer, we were down around 1%. Now, some people have said this is an exaggeration. And what they've meant is, We're making up these numbers. This isn't really the number of people who have died. That is not just misinformation. It's totally ridiculous. Let me explain. We have been practicing medicine for a long time with the same number of ICU beds and the same number of expected deaths in a particular time frame. When we look at that now, 
And look, we're not even talking about positivity. We're talking about actually people who have died or been hospitalized. We have 120,000 people hospitalized in this country right now. We have zero ICU beds in places like California. And let's just go with this figure. Our morgues are full. We're bringing in trailer trucks. So with that, we know what this was like last January. We know what it was like last December. And it's a lot worse now. So if you're not believing that these numbers are true, believe in the fact that people are dying. And this is the reason that we have found. So we need to keep our eye on the target and figure out what to do. So in the second half of our program today, in the second section of our program today, we're going to take questions about the vaccine. There have been a lot of questions about the vaccine from patients and uh, family members. So we're going to talk about some of those questions that have come up questions that have come from you, the listeners. As always, you could reach me at info at alessimd.com during the week, or we'll open up the phone lines and take questions at 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. Once again, we're going to focus on how to make our lives better here in terms of our health in general, as well as in relation to this pandemic. With that, this day in medicine, January 9th, 1929, was the first crude application of penicillin by Dr. Alexander Fleming. Dr. Fleming treated actually his lab assistant um, for an infected sinus and put the penicillin, it, it was basically a, a penicillin broth that he put in to wash out the sinus and actually worked, and that was in 1929. So we remember, again, these infectious disease researches have really been a crucial part of medicine as we have moved along. They've not been the so-called fighter pilots of medicine, you know, brain surgeons, heart transplant surgeons, but they've probably done more to preserve life than any other segment of medicine. In the second half of our program, um, our guest will be actually my daughter, Dr. Stephanie Alessi LaRosa, who will be coming on because we're going to talk about traumatic brain injury, especially in the elderly. Three million older people are treated in emergency departments each year, and it's the most common cause of traumatic brain injury. Fall injuries at home are the most common cause of traumatic brain injury. So we're going to talk about traumatic brain injury, but specifically how it affects an older population. With many of my patients, and, and I assume some of our listeners, we face the fact that people don't want to use assistive devices, right? A walker, a cane, well, I'm in my house. Well, that's where the falls happen most commonly. You know those beautiful throw rugs everybody likes to look at? I got to tell you. They're not worth it. They move around. That's when people slip and fall. So you have to get rid of those. And if your doctor or physical therapist advise you to use an assistive device at home, do it. Because that will save your life. And we're going to talk about that later in the program. 
With that, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with Healthy Rounds at 860-522-9842 is the number here. And uh, we'll be back to talk a little bit more about the vaccine and how to keep you and your family safe during the pandemic. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And in this section, we're going to talk a little bit more about the vaccine for COVID-19. And the first thing I want to say is I just received my second dose of the Pfizer vaccine this week. And I feel very fortunate to have been able to receive that. I did not have any side effects. My daughter, Catherine, who is a neurologist along with me at the University of Connecticut, uh, both received our second dose, and neither of had either of us had any side effects. Uh, got the injection at about 8 a.m., went and did a full, do- full day of work seeing patients, um, and the following day went to work and saw patients. Um, uh, maybe a little arm soreness, which I get from the flu vaccine or any other time you put a needle into a muscle. But other than that, nothing that was debilitating. Now, that's not saying other people have not gotten this, but... I think that the side effects and complications are so much more publicized than the many of us who don't have any uh, ill effect from the vaccine. So I wanted to get that out there. You know, a lot of people ask me uh, and say, well, Dr. Tulsi, what do you recommend? Well, look at the Band-Aid on my arm. Um, Do I have any doubt that this vaccine is going to be helpful? Heck no, or else I wouldn't have the vaccine myself or recommend my children and family members to get the vaccine. Uh, We have had uh, different vaccines. So uh, my daughter Catherine and I got the Pfizer vaccine. Stephanie, who will be on the show later, got the Moderna vaccine. And my son-in-law, Ashok, got the Moderna vaccine. Um, So we're moving in the right direction. People have asked me, does this going to give you protection among the variants that we're hearing about now? And first of all, the USA variant that was publicized yesterday has not been proven, not been shown. It was speculation based on some information provided in an interview by Dr. Deborah Burks. So there is no USA variant. But I don't doubt that there will be variants on this virus. And by that, I mean, what happens is, let's remember, the virus needs a host. The virus can't live on its own. If it's lying on a surface, it will die. So it needs a host, almost like something out of science fiction, right? So it gets into your nose and it lives off of you, the human being. It is sucking life out of you. That's how it lives. And the more it spreads... The more hosts it finds, it becomes more emboldened, more strengthened. And what does the virus want to do? Well, it wants to keep living. And in doing so, like any other opponent, it will camouflage itself, change itself, change its genetic structure. So the more we let this live, the more it will change and continue to kill us. There's no other way to put it. So people who think, well, I need to travel. I need to go to a big New Year's Eve party. 
You folks are killing the rest of us. Okay? That is what is killing America. So you need to put on a mask and stay home and not give this virus a place to live. And the sooner we do that, the better off we're going to be. Now, one of the more interesting articles that's been published was a study done at the Mayo Clinic by Dr. Babari, who is an ID specialist. And I'm bringing this up because I think the article itself is a game changer. By that, I mean that a mask is the most important measure to reducing exposure. Now, their study was different. So they looked at mask types, cloth or or the disposable one, and they found no difference. And here's what they did. They looked at a situation of using no mask, using a mask where the source, the other person in the room, was masked, then a situation where the target was masked. So the source, then the target alone was masked, and then when both were masked. And they looked at it at different distances of one foot, three foot, and six feet. So they found that when both parties were masked, the chance of transmission of that virus was 0.5%. Pretty interesting. When no, no people were masked, the chance of transmission at one foot was 100%. That was it there was going to be transfer of the virus. The next less likely one was when the source, so when you personally are masked, okay, you have less chance of spreading the virus than if only the target, the other person in the room, was masked. So basically, what it's telling us is that masks work no matter how far you are away from the other person. So social distancing is good, but that's good because not everybody's wearing a mask or wearing a mask properly, okay? It's got to go over your nose. You can close your mouth, but you can't close your nose. So with that, you need to still socially distance. But let's take this a step further, okay? What does it mean? So if people are masked in a setting, we might be able to loosen things up. Which brings me to the next study. It was a study done in Spain where they held a concert by two popular DJs and they took, they let fans in. Here's what they did. They tested everybody on their way in with a quick test, the antigen test, to make sure everyone was negative. They divided people up into two groups. First of all, everyone wore N95 masks. Those are the best masks we have that you see healthcare workers using. So everyone wore a mask. One group was socially distanced during the concert. The other was not socially distanced. And they held this concert. Everyone wore the mask the whole time. So there were no beverages. There's no beer. You're not eating in there. It's not like a restaurant but you're attending the concert and the event. Eight days after the event, all participants in both groups were retested, but this time with the nasopharyngeal test, the PCR, the polymerase chain reaction test. 
And when they did that, no one was infected with COVID-19. So what's it telling us? It's telling us that there is potential to getting back to entertainment if people wear the mask the whole time and we monitor things, but you don't necessarily have to be socially distanced. So again, we're learning more about this virus. That doesn't mean we ha can't get back to doing some of the things we'd like to do and getting some more people back to work. One of the other big questions that comes up is, how is this being distributed? Uh, first of all, Connecticut is now distributed over 101,000 doses of the vaccine. This is phenomenal. Okay, we have the fourth highest participation rate, okay, and the fourth highest distribution. So whatever it is, is working. Where are the problems in this distribution? Well, apparently, the federal government tells the state government to do it, the state tells the community, and goes to the hospital. Whatever we're doing in Connecticut seems to be working because we've now distributed 53.1% of the vaccine available. But you have to accept the vaccine. Refusing the vaccine when you are healthy and able to do it is the wrong thing to do. So two things we need to do. Wear a mask and get the vaccine when it's available to you. Why? The mask protects those around you. And the vaccine also protects those around you by helping us get to herd immunity. With that, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Stephanie Alessi LaRosa, who is Associate Director of Sports Neurology at Hartford HealthCare. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And... It gives me great pleasure to introduce my guest today, who is my daughter, Dr. Stephanie Alessi LaRosa. She is an MD and neurologist specializing in sports neurology. She serves as the Associate Director of Sports Neurology at Hartford HealthCare and the Bone and Joint Institute. And uh, her specialty is looking at sports neurology, uh, injuries in athletes that pertain to the nervous system. But... Much of that, and, and the most serious injuries, are related to head injury, and uh, whether that be concussion or more serious head injury. So uh, she and I both uh, attended a video Zoom lecture this week that we both thought was contained a lot of information that our listeners would need to know. Uh, Steph, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for spending time with us today. So let's talk a little bit about uh, what do people need to know about TBI, traumatic brain injury? Sure. TBI really is, uh, by definition, it's a transient injury um, that's brought on by a biomechanical force uh, to the brain. And it really causes a more of a functional disturbance rather than a gross structural injury. Um, and that's that's key because there are certainly levels to traumatic brain injury and mild TBI is, is the, the least severe form and that's where concussion lies. 
And then certainly it goes up from there, you know, moderate TBI, severe TBI and things like that. But those would have uh, a gross structural injury usually associated with them. Um, so, so that's where mild TBI sort of is positioned. So when we think about it, I mean, we, we're always hearing about it in athletes and something we see, especially in combat sports, when you, are wor- you and I are working at boxing events or something of that nature. We're, uh, we're constantly hearing about concussion and mild TBI. But some of those more severe TBIs are what affect older people. Why are older people more susceptible to the more severe TBI injuries that we hear about and require hospitalization? Well, with, uh, you know, older folks, certainly their balance may be compromised. You know, there's other things that sort of put them at risk. You know, maybe it's medications that they're on or, you know, a lot of elderly people mention that they have sleep issues. So then when you're not sleeping well, you know, you don't feel like yourself during the day. And and those things may put you at more risk for falls. And then in terms of their recovery, uh, you know, an older brain is sort of, you know, less resilient um, and... Uh, additionally, the brain uh, really shrinks over time as we get older. It, it becomes, uh, you know, what we call atrophied or, you know, uh, just like I said, sort of shrinking. And that creates more space in the brain. So when you do, uh, you know, when someone does fall, there's more space there. Um, you know, the, the blood vessels are a little more easy to, to uh, break and they're more prone to having um, hemorrhages or, or bleeding in the brain particularly if they're on blood thinners, you know, which a lot of elderly uh, folks may be for cardiac problems or, you know, stroke risk, things like that. They might be on aspirin and, and those things are common. So, you know, having a more severe uh, realm of, of TBI is usually for those reasons. So one of the things we're always hearing about is the, the cumulative injury of falls and some of the symptoms um, that people experience. Now, obviously, let's take the more severe injuries. If someone falls at home and maybe on a blood thinner and maybe older, and and when you say older, Steph, what are we talking in terms of age? I mean, do I qualify yet? Uh, Potentially, you know, right around 65 and older, but certainly 75 and older is really that group. So you're not quite there yet. (laughs) All right. But with that, again, if we have an older person who's over age 75, maybe on a blood thinner, they fall at home, what are the symptoms that they need to look for that say, I got to call 911? Yeah, the, the serious symptoms to look for would be, you know, worst headache of their life, any sign of weakness, speech difficulty. Um, you know, vomiting sort of, uh, you know, uh, out of the, the blue. Um, and then if there's someone nearby or living with them, you know, that can notice maybe they're, they're more sleepy or they're difficult to arouse even, you know, or to wake up from, from maybe a nap or something. Uh, those would be really critical signs to present to an ER or call an ambulance. How about these devices uh, for older people? Remember the old, well, you probably don't remember the commercial where I've fallen and I can't get up, but now <laughs> yes, there do. are watches and things like that. Have they been helpful for people or just a distraction in terms of these call alerts and fall alerts or uh, even actually the Apple Watch, I guess, does it now? Um, how helpful are those? 
They're very helpful. Um, I usually recommend that for patients who are fall risk and, again, in that age group where it could be deadly to have a fall at home, that they should have some sort of device such as a life alert. Um, you know, especially if they're active people, you know, that they're, they're older and they still like to go, you know, mountain biking and, you know, do some things like that. Um, you know, where, you know, there might be at a risk if something happens that they won't be able to maybe get themselves to safety as easily, you know, having an Apple watch, which can track those things, the later versions, the, the newer versions of that have, um, even EKG sort of capabilities, uh, to look at, at different, uh, you know, heart rhythm patterns, um, but also to actually help someone find you um, and to get help to you um, wherever you are because of the GPS associated with it. So I have heard of cases where they have been life-saving um, uh, from any sort of device like that. We're chatting with uh, Dr. Stephanie Alessi LaRosa from uh, Hartford HealthCare, and we're talking about head injury. Uh, so let's move away from the more serious head injury and go back to mild TBI, which you um, very succinctly defined for us. And so those people who are not lying there unconscious or vomiting or may have a slight headache, at what point should they seek care? Um, and who should they seek care from? Well, initially, uh, you know, most people probably present to either an urgent care or an emergency room or, you know, even just calling their primary care uh, physician's office. Um, and those are usually the first, you know, uh, entry into the healthcare system for a, a mild head injury. Um, and the signs that people typically do that for is if they've had headache, you know, if they're having nausea, if they're light sensitive, if they're, you know, just not thinking as clearly maybe, or they're, uh, don't feel as sharp. A lot of patients kind of describe things that way. Certainly dizziness, um, any of those symptoms. Um, after a hit to the head um, should be evaluated by one of those providers initially. But, you know, I will tell you, and this is really uh, important, is that, um, you know, research now is showing that even when patients see them, they'll receive, you know, patient instructions from, you know, an urgent care or an ER. They should be seen by a head injury specialist as soon as possible uh, because there are things that, you know, are in our training uh, that can be helpful in preventing those long-term issues or prolonged recoveries from concussion that, you know, a primary care physician may not be able to. And, and the earlier that those interventions are made, the better off the patient will be. So that's really important to, to actually seek out a head injury specialist if symptoms, um, you know, have persisted even past a couple of days. I always like to see patients within the first couple of days of a head injury. That's, that's great information. Um, and, and so that everyone has the information, um, if you think you're having symptoms from a head injury, uh, whether it be cumulative over years, uh, the phone number for Dr. Stephanie Alessi LaRosa is 860-524-4330. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Stephanie Alessi LaRosa, to chat more a little bit about the role of telemed in assessing head injury. What can you do for someone who has had repeated head injury? Is there treatment or is this something you just got to sit back and take? With that, we're going to answer those questions for you in the next segment. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. 
We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and we're chatting with Dr. Stephanie Alessi LaRosa today about head injury, especially how it pertains to those of us as we get older. Uh, so, Steph, telemed has been interesting because it's something we've had for years, but only since COVID has it really become a prominent and held a prominent place in our society. Also, the fact that Medicare suddenly agreed to pay for it, something they never paid for before. But with COVID, uh, they have at least temporarily agreed to pay for visits through telemed. How has that helped you and your practice when assessing uh, patients, especially older patients who may have had head injury? Yeah, telemedicine has really, um, you know, like you said, really changed the uh, the way we do healthcare, even. Um, and it, it's something that's really, I think, expanded access for patients, uh, particularly, I'll say, with head injury. Because, again, like I mentioned, when they're dizzy or they're not able to drive, you know, uh, they're so nauseous, they can't tolerate motion, you know, whatever the, the reason is, we're able to still come to them and help those people. Um, you know, where typically they may have to have canceled an appointment with a physician if, when they had to go to their office. Uh, now we're able to kind of come to them. It's It almost feels like, you know, if I had to guess what doing a house call would be like, um, because we are able to reach reach those patients. Um, and sh- certainly it's a limited examination. I can't, you know, put my hands on the patient, but um, we are able to still test quite a few things uh, by giving instructions and, and observing things uh, by the, the camera and the web camera. So uh, it's really been great, I think, for our patients and having that option. Um, and how easy is it to use? Now, so a lot of people are, you know, especially older people, um, are technophobic in, in to some degree. Uh, but Many people are getting there. How easy is it to use now for older people? It is actually very easy, uh, particularly the way that we have it uh, arranged at Hartford HealthCare, uh, where it's through a Zoom sort of platform. Um, it's HIPAA secure. And, uh, you know, our medical assistants are really excellent at um, helping the patients, you know, download the applications and walk them through the entire setup process. And then as long as they have access to the patient portal, uh, they, they find a quick link on there and um, you're in the video chat for the visit. So um, it really has gotten quite easy, um, you know, particularly with patients uh, that I have that are over 75 or, or maybe just, you know, never, never uh, you know, had a, a webcam before and they've purchased one now or they now have a smartphone or a flip phone, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so it is actually very easy now, easier than I think they think initially. Steph, a couple of terms that are often thrown out there that can be confusing for people, and that being post-concussive syndrome and chronic traumatic encephalopathy, the so-called PCS versus CTE. Can you spend a few minutes going over those two entities and and clarifying the fact that they are not the same thing? Sure. Uh, they're definitely not the same thing. Uh, post-concussion syndrome is really... Uh, a diagnosis we apply to a patient who has had symptoms, you know, really longer than about three months or so after a head injury. Um, you know, the initial concussion, acute concussion, really lasts about two weeks. And then there's this period of 
potentially, you know, like a prolonged recovery, for example, and then uh, post-concussion syndrome can, can ensue after that if, if the symptoms are not addressed or, or put away or, uh, you know, things like that. Now, chronic traumatic encephalopathy is a diagnosis that is only made post-mortem, uh, meaning when the patient has passed away, if they, you know, get an autopsy or, or um, have their brain donated to science, then they're able to uh, examine the brain structures itself under a microscope and things like that, and, and it makes that diagnosis. There is no criteria for a person to have chronic, uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy in a living person. Uh, people have made that through the media very uh, confusing, and patients uh, feel that they're, you know, walking around with CTE, and that's just not possible. Um, and, you know, there really are no studies that have clearly uh, shown a cause and effect from symptoms that they're having to having uh, CTE uh, postmortem. So we're, we're waiting on a lot of that to be kind of cleared up through research. Um, the long-term studies are, are being done, but we just aren't there yet in terms of um, having clear-cut diagnostic criteria for living folks. But post-concussion syndrome is a diagnosis in a, in a living person, but still very treatable. Uh, that's probably the number one thing I treat um, in my office is patients who have had prolonged recoveries. Um, and they may be very complicated and, and uh, unable to find help uh, from, you know, their general practitioner, for example. But we're, we're able to help with in some way, some shape or form, um, depending on the situation, for sure. What's the most common symptom you see people presenting with who have post-concussion symptoms? So these symptoms that have lasted beyond three months, um, what's the most common thing they come to you with? The number one thing is intractable headaches. Um, sometimes they have persistent migraine features, which are light sensitivity, sound sensitivity, ringing in the ears. Uh, those are those are very common. And having even multiple headache types, you know, they don't have to fit in one category. Sometimes they have neck pain associated headaches. Sometimes they have migraines. Sometimes they have, you know, just tension headaches because their sleep is not good and they're under a lot of stress for whatever reason. Um, you know, and, and those things can lead to headaches as well. So they may come with, you know, uh, multiple flavors of headaches. And, um, you know, we're able to really get to the details and, and help address each type. But that would be the number one symptom. Steph, in the final minutes of our show here, can you share with our listeners what's something everybody needs to know about head injury? Um, uh, that will help them move forward and stay healthier? Uh, the, the main thing I, I feel strongly about is, is getting the word out that every hit to the head is not necessarily a concussion. There are uh, very much minor uh, hits to the head that people take if they stand up into a shelf, for example, or, you know, hit their head, just kind of fall over it and, and tap their head on a wall. And those are not concussions, you know, those are more like a traumatic headache or something like that. Um, but it's hard because when you go to an urgent care or primary care, they may they may diagnose concussion and it, it may not be true. So, again, seeing a head injury specialist will help clarify these diagnoses and, and revisit them um, in order to treat the patient, you know, for, for what they, they have. Um, you know, and I, and I think another myth that I actually come across a lot of, of the time is that, 
you know, one concussion doesn't necessarily lower your threshold for having more concussions. Um, and one prolonged recovery doesn't mean the next head injury is going to have a long prolonged recovery as well. So uh, these are important things that, that I think the general population is not aware of. And certainly Googling uh, things uh, can, can lead to some extra anxiety that's not necessary. So I always say definitely see a head injury specialist. Stephanie, thank you for your time. Um, you've made your mother and I uh, much happier now that we can rely on the fact that you're not considering people elderly till after the age of 75. Um, so with that, you've made our day. Um, and for people interested who may have head injury, may have uh, family members who have had repeated head injuries, you can contact Dr. Alessi LaRosa at 860-524-4330, and she's uh, locally at Hartford HealthCare. Steph, thanks for jumping in today. Thank you very much. With that, uh, before closing today, I wanted to talk a little bit and uh, kind of summarize for everybody um, a little bit about everything going on. What we need to really do is stand tall. The listeners of this show have always done that. The citizens of Connecticut appear to be doing that. And what I mean is standing up and getting vaccinated. If you are healthy, and you can be vaccinated, you meet all the qualifications, we need to do that. You do that for yourself, but you do it for your community. It's time that we all became heroes. We've all decided to help others and be good citizens. And you do that by wearing a mask. Okay, You wear the mask, you wear it properly, and you get vaccinated when it's available. That's going to help you and your neighbors and all of us end this pandemic that has taken the lives of 370,000 Americans who we remember. With that, on next week's show, we're going to be looking at medical education and how that has changed. We're going to be talking more about the vaccine and what we learn in the next week and other ways on how to stay healthy. With that, it's been great to be with you, and this has been Dr. Anthony Alessi. Stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.